0: The pre mid Year, session number 353. Hello, and welcome to The Premed Years, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. Welcome to The pre Years, I'm excited to have you here today. I'm excited to do something a little bit different. I've done kind of crossover episodes before, mostly when it was announcing something big or a new podcast or something on one of our channels. This week I am playing a podcast that came out a couple weeks ago on the MCap podcast. So if you listen to the MCap podcast, you've probably already heard this one before. But if you don't listen to the MCAT podcast, I would recommend you stay tuned and check out the episode today with Rachel Grubbs from Next Step Test Prep. Rachel, welcome to the MCAT podcast and the pre-med years. How are you doing? Thank
1: you. Thank you. Good. I'm excited
0: to be here. I'm excited too. This is the first time I'm going to record for two different podcasts kind of simultaneously. And we'll try to do our best to to hit both audiences. Um, But let's start with who you are in this whole MCAT pre-med world.
1: Okay. Uh, I am the vice president at Next Step Test Prep, and I have been in uh, the test preparation and admissions industry for almost 20 years now. So, uh, for a long, long time, I have been helping future doctors on their path to med school. Um, So, mostly what I've served is is an educational advisor. Um, So, um, you know, my roles have varied a lot over the years, but the thing that I always keep coming back to because I enjoy them the mo- most is working with students directly, learning about them, and helping them map out a plan. That's really what I do.
0: How does one wake up one morning and go, you know who I want to serve, what audience I want to serve? I want to serve the crazy pre-med students.
1: Uh, one falls into it backwards if one is Rachel. <laughs> <laughs> um. You know, I had always been interested in education, um, but I was pretty sure I didn't want to just be a teacher in the classroom, which is not to say just like that's not something amazing. That's what my parents were. They were teachers and I, I admired them so much. But what I hoped is to have a job that had an impact on education, but that didn't have the structure of just being in a classroom all day. So I always kind of knew I was looking for that and then just found my way into test prep and... You know, in the early years, I was doing um, SAT, ACT, G R A G, MAT, MCAT, LSAT, all the tests. And um, as I, you know, learned more and more, I mean, I I enjoy all the different students in different ways. But just sort of found I had a special place for um for for college students heading to to med school. It just was a really interesting niche for me.
0: Yeah, and we've been working together closely on the. Next Step Admission Services, and we've been chatting for a long time, obviously, with Next Step MCAT. So we, we've we had a relationship for a while. What do you think really sets out? I know I, I don't want to, to talk about Next Step uh, a thousand percent today, but because you are at Next Step, because you have experience with multiple test prep companies, just kind of briefly, what do you think separates Next Step from all of the other competitors out there?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. And like you said, not, not to make this just about the company, but just sort of why I picked it. Um, so I was at one of the larger companies for a long time and have nothing bad to say about that company. For one thing, I think competition is really good for students. So I like having a lot of companies in the mix. I think it keeps everyone on their toes. So we're all doing the best we can. What was particularly appealing to me about Next Step was the focus on personalization and that doesn't just mean one-on-one tutoring it can mean course or it can even mean just buying exams and doing self-study all the programs that we make we really try to help a student think about instead of here's a set curriculum you must follow thinking about what are your personal strengths what are your personal weaknesses what analytics can we give you to make sure that you're making the most efficient use of your study time and um, I think MCAT in particular can be kind of intimidating to the general public. It's, um, you know, it's this big, scary test with big, scary, smart students and big, scary, smart teachers. <laughs> um, and I think sometimes people think, well, if I don't know a lot about it or if I'm not an expert, the safest thing to do is give the student everything and then I can be sure they got it all. And, you know, that might work in some cases. But, um, you know, if you're rockin' biochem and you are really struggling in physics, then, you know, why waste a lot of time on biochem? Just review it to be sure you know it and move on to your weak areas.
0: Yeah. Instead of moving from a a 130 to a 131, try to move that 125 to a 127.
1: Yeah. And I mean, ideally both, right? But if you're really, if you, if you struggled to get a B in physics the first time, then you know, that's going to take you a lot of time to review.
0: Yeah. (laughs) So today we're going to talk about the MCAT and kind of your experiences dealing with or working with and dealing with, it's not the right word, working with pre-med students for these number of years, uh, mostly around the MCAT and just the experiences and the, the conversations that you have with pre-med students who are coming back and going, wow, I I wish I would have known right? Uh, when it comes to MCAT prep. So I'm excited for the conversation today. That's why I'm going to release it on the pre-mid years as well. So if you're listening to this on the MCAT podcast and you don't listen to the pre-mid years, you should. And if you're listening to this on the pre-mid years and you haven't started listening to the MCAT podcast and you still need to take the MCAT, then you should go subscribe to that podcast as well. So... Let's start with one of the most common kind of pieces of feedback that you get from students with the MCAT and what they wish they knew.
1: Yeah, I mean, it seems so basic, but so often when students are in the middle of MCAT prep, they tell me how frustrated they are that they're essentially having to relearn material instead of reviewing it. And I think that that comes from the way colleges encourage us to study and not to make this a whole thing on post-secondary education, because that's not not my area of expertise, but a lot of students will work to do really well on homeworks and quizzes and get in it, even get an A in a class and then tell me a year or two later, well, yeah, I got an A in physics, but I don't actually feel like I know it. And maybe that means they had a professor they really struggled to understand, but they were good at completing their work on time. Or maybe it means it was one of those classes that they had to take in the summer just to fit it in their schedule. So they got it really compressed. But obviously we want the A, right? Like this is Admissions matter. Grades matter. It's important to have a high GPA, but I don't want students and students tell me they wish they hadn't just fixated on that that numerical point, that four point. But thinking about I'm going to need this again in two years or six months, depending on where you are in your underclass uh, journey and really trying to learn it the first time. And commit it to your working memory. And, then, you know, it could be hard to do. You do a deep dive for 15 weeks and then maybe you don't see that material on again. But um, the MCAT is not a test you should cram. But I would argue that final exams are also not tests we can cr- you should cram. Like if you can if you can really make yourself be thinking about the fact freshman year when you're doing Gen Chem, that that stoic is going to come up again in two years, it just might help you with your mindset a little bit to avoid cr- cramming and think more about really learning.
0: Stoic. I've, I've never heard stoichiometry <laughs> labeled stoic. That's really cool. <laughs>
1: I don't have time for the whole word. <laughs> <laughs> Stoic.
0: Wow. I I haven't had, I haven't said stoichiometry in forever, so that's a a fun one for me. So so Rachel, my question for you is as a student is going through their classes and they're getting an A on their quiz, their like midterm quiz, and they're getting A's on their finals, how are they supposed to know if they are really learning it or just learning it for the test?
1: Yeah, what I would say is make sure you're using active learning. Um And, um, you know, we do that when we cram too, but, uh, most pre-meds I'm generalizing here, hopefully in a very complimentary way. Most pre-meds are very, very good at reading books with dense science material and then understanding and being able to sort of, um, recite or regurgitate that information. But to me, an ultimate litmus test for really learning it is, could you close the book and teach it to a friend? So. so I think that, that that's an important kind of um, tool to think about, is this something where I don't just have it memorized for now, but I actually understand it? And it's a lot harder to talk about something in a genuine way than it is to just repeat something word for word. Um, so that's one really kind of good way to be, be sure you're putting it into, um, into your brain in a way that isn't just recitation.
0: I've seen some some fun YouTube videos of students who are um like sitting at the dining room table with their stuffed animals <laughs> sitting at the other chairs and they're literally teaching science to these stuffed animals to make sure that they I understand that. it. So I love that. Yeah.
1: Um yeah, and and study groups are helpful, you know. So um I, I think particularly you know, what I understand is many, many medical students find that their study groups are really important to success. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't always hear that as much about pre-meds, but I think particularly for the MCAT, it's useful. Um, and if you're not used to working in study groups, it's kind of a nice skill to build knowing you're going to use it again later in med school. Yeah. Um, but it holds you accountable. It also kind of strengthens the skill set because maybe there are topics that someone can teach to you, not just to prove that they understand it, but because you're really struggling and you need help. Mm -hmm. Um, and then you have a chance to pay back your friend. Um, so, so I think that's, um, that's one way is just, you know, and again, whether or not you've got to study stuffed animals are fine, (laughs) right? Much more important that you're just saying it out loud. There is power in saying stuff out loud versus reading it and going, yeah, yeah, I got it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's something that Brian, a former co-host on the MCAT podcast. Uh, we talked, we we had a a topic a while ago about the best ways to study for the MCAT and you would you would think like, "Oh, here's Brian from this test prep company. He's going to say get a tutor or take a course." He goes, "No, like study groups are the best way to study for the MCAT." And you you go and find somebody who's good at the subjects that you are not good at, you find like four different people, each strong in different sections, and you teach each other a- as you go along,
1: yeah, we're still big believers in that. Yeah. I mean, part of um, part of the next step idea is that we want to help everyone whether or not you can afford prep. So if you want to invest in a course or tutoring, I certainly think those things have merit, but everyone should be able to come up with some form of a study group for free. Um, and And that's something that we can advise to everybody, regardless of budget. So we do.
0: Yeah. Awesome. So, all right. So learning the material as you go, not just for the test, but really trying to understand it. One of the questions that I see all the time in the Hangout, which if you're not part of medicalschoolhq.net slash group, we'll take you to our Facebook group. We have have almost 9,500 students in there, which is fun. Um, but one of the questions I see all the time is, should I go and buy a set of MCAT books now as I'm taking my core science prereqs and and look at and study what the MCAT expects us to know while I'm studying the content for my undergrad classes? What are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, I mean, well, the easy answer is maybe. <laughs> um I don't know that it's 100% necessary. I kind of like what the students are getting at from that. Um, you don't even necessarily need to buy the set of books. You could go to the AMC and just download their topic outline for free. Because mm-hmm. I think the uh, what, what I hope the meta point of that question is, is should I be thinking about which parts of what I'm learning in my college courses I'm going to see again? And yeah, I think you should be thinking about that because um, an analogy we sometimes use is that a college-level science course is like scuba diving. You know, you don't go very far, but you go very deep. Uh, where MCAT is much more like water skiing. You know, you cover a lot of ter- territory, but it's pretty shallow.
0: <laughs> Never um, heard that one before. That's pretty yeah, good. And,
1: yeah, we see it all the time where someone will say like, you know, oh, this question about dopamine, um, you know, it's it's actually the, the credited answer is incorrect because if you know about the way schizophrenia is treated, sometimes too much dopamine is a bad thing. And... I mean, I don't have the science, but my understanding is that's factually correct. But all the MCAT is asking about dopamine is like it's a feel-good thing, you know, drug in your body. Yeah. You know, so sometimes sometimes that depth of knowledge isn't actually gonna help you. It's more just remembering which topics are gonna come up again. So so yeah, I think someone actually the other day on the Facebook group asked me if she should buy books and she she wanted to. So I said, sure, go for it. But I wouldn't say that I I think everybody needs to invest $200 in a set of books their freshman year because you you can at least get the list of topics from the WMC at no cost. Yeah. And then just kind of cross-reference each, you know, maybe each semester at the start, you look at your syllabus and then then highlight which ones are going to be on the MCAT again. So you can kind of just think to yourself, okay, yeah, those are ones I'm definitely going to see a second time.
0: Yeah. Yeah, Brian. Brian always used the phrase "a mile wide and an inch deep." That's the yeah.
1: That's yeah. The MCAT mile way. wide, inch deep is the same as the water speed. Yes,
0: idea. I like it. <laughs> so I will. um I'll set up a new URL. If you're listening to this, if you go to medicalschoolhq.net/slash/mcat outline. Uh, I will have that redirect directly to the AAMC's kind of outline, which is what you as a test prep company, what all the test prep companies use to create your material. So that's Absolutely. really the gold standard.
1: Absolutely, we do. Okay. Um, and actually, it really gets nicely into the next big point that I want to raise, which is all, all good test prep companies are using the AMC topics as their curriculum guide. Um, that, that should be true across the board. And if it's not, then you definitely didn't pick the right company because there's (laughs) tons of good MCAT prop companies out there. So you can pick next step or another one. There's a lot of quality. Um, but that does not mean that by knowing the WMC content list forwards and backwards that you will then know all the science you see on the MCAT. Um, and this is sort of fun fact slash depressing, upsetting fact (laughs) about WMC science passages deliberately they often present new information that you as the MCAT test taker are not supposed to have studied before. Um, And I'm going to say that again because it's so important. (laughs) Um, The WMC science passages will present new information that you are not supposed to have studied before. And not every time, but sometimes that's what happens in the passages. And that is because the WMC is attempting to test your scientific reasoning skills. So they want to know what happens when you are given new information on the spot. Um, and sometimes, you know, again, it's this whole, what do I wish MCAT t- test takers knew? What do they tell me they knew? Sometimes I'll get these stressed out comments that are, I swear that topic that I got on this passage wasn't in any of your books. Yeah, that's, that's right. <laughs> that's, yeah, it's, That's not a next step or a Kaplan or exam crackers issue. It's the WMC choice. They're trying to see how you react to new information.
0: Yeah. And and use the skills that you've learned, the critical thinking skills that you've learned to work through the situation.
1: Exactly. Um, and I think, you know, if you look at the WMC where they have the content outline, they also talk about skills. And with the science skills, we talk about, you know, the knowledge of scientific concepts the, um, uh, and the scientific reasoning And then we also talk about database and statistical reasoning and, and, um, reasoning about, you know, uh, from charts and graphs. And I think that a lot of people are stepping up their ability to look at science research and look at data and statistics, but there still seems to be this interesting conflation where someone thinks, if I just know the science cold, that's the same as being able to reason about it. And it's not. Um, so that's, that's the skill that, of those four scientific inquiry skills, the WMC test—that's the one that I think most often gets ignored. People just forget that being able to recite it and being able to problem solve about stuff you haven't seen before aren't the same. Yeah,
0: such a huge skill. How do you think students, as they're as they're working through it, maybe they're they're realizing that right, a student comes back with their diagnostic or their first full length, and it's like, wow, my score isn't where I need it to be. How do you think they should go and interpret those results and say, okay, my content is terrible. That's what I need to work on. Or my reasoning skills are terrible. That's what I need to work on.
1: Yeah, it's tough. Um, well, one thing that's nice with, um, next step practice test is we will actually show you for each question on our score reports, what content topic or what skill was supposed to be used. Um, (laughs) And I actually haven't looked at competitor score reports in a few months, so I don't know if I have the latest, but I think some of the other big guys also have similar things like that's, that's a pretty standard thing in score reports. So, um, so look at your, if you're taking a test with a third party, look at your score report and see what does, you know, what stuff did it cite, um, and then, you know, the other thing you can do is look at your own percentage correct on the standalones, the discrete questions versus passages, because if you're mostly getting the discretes right and you're missing in passages, that probably means that it's more of a comprehension and, re- and reasoning issue than it is a knowledge issue.
0: Okay. All right. So what's the next big takeaway that um, that students come back to you with?
1: Yeah. So, so, yeah, look at your scoreboards, do some analysis. Um, uh, yeah, but I, I think a lot of people want to just drill on questions and drilling on passages is ultimately going to be a much better be- measure of your success. Um, and, I, you know, I think most students know they need to take lots of practice tests. That's true. But long before you're taking lots of practice tests, you should be doing lots of practice passages.
0: Yeah. So what's the next big key takeaway, big piece of feedback that students come to you with?
1: I wish I had learned how to problem solve earlier. So, because once you figured out what I just said, right, you need to know the science, but understand that knowing the science isn't enough. You need to know how to problem solve about science. That is not an easy skill to dramatically change in three months. It can be done, right? I mean, I have seen people come in and just not even really understand how the MCAT is asking questions. And then once they wrap their brain around how the MCAT wants you to think, I've seen scores dramatically improve in three months. But, um, you know, studies show, studies that the WMC has done show that humanities majors tend to perform pretty well on the exam compared to other majors. Mm. And why is that? It's because humanities majors are using that critical reading skill set all the time. Um, you know, you still got to rock the science, right? Anyone who takes the MCATs has got to be really great at science. but um something to think about for those of you who are um who are listening who are further away from the MCAT right so if you're 3 months out we're still going to make it better but that's a different way of approaching it but if you're 2 years out from the test you might be thinking about okay I don't want to just take my humanities courses and think of that as my easy A or my break from my science I want to think of that course as the chance to really build my critical reading and critical thinking skills so um Taking philosophy, taking theology, taking some classics. Those are all really great courses that train your brain to think hard about logic and assumptions. Um, and that—that that is a skill that you will use on the MCAT, but hopefully also for the rest of your adult life in any career you're in. Um, it's always good to be a critical thinker. Just a little bit. Uh, so, um, so, yeah, i I, I strongly... I strongly advise people to understand that the MCAT is a reading test. Um, I think for many years, people have misunderstood it to be a science test, and it is both science and critical reading. And um, I don't think this is about talent or ability. I think it's about um, recency of skills. So even if you took really hard, you know AP lit classes in high school, If you haven't really worried about your humanities courses in college because your brain has been focused on science and math, then you may have let some of your critical reading skills rust a little at the expense of your science and math skills. And what I'm saying is keep them all sharp. And again, not just for the MCAT, right? But because in your life, it will serve you well to be able to to be adept at taking in new data and looking at it with a critical eye.
0: Yeah, it's it's hard as a as a pre med student listening to this they may they may be listening to this going okay I, I'm listening to the podcasts and and I hear successful students are kind of doing it all, right? They have shadowing, they have clinical experience, they're volunteering, they're saving the world, they have good grades, they have good MCAT scores. So I have to I have to do all of that. And now you're saying for me to do all on the MCAT, there's all these other things that I have to do all of, right? I have to know the science. I have to be a critical thinker. I have to do all of this stuff. How do you how do you tell a student not to be overwhelmed in that situation?
1: Yeah, it's a good point, right? Because I, I am I am piling on here, I'm aware. <laughs> um, so one thing to keep in mind is uh, you're probably better at critical reading than you think you are. And that goes back to the idea I was saying about skill being rusty versus not having a skill at all. Um, so um, I wouldn't sweat it too much. I would also say um, I think it's more important to take the MCAT when you're ready than on a certain timeline. Um, I think, Ryan, you agree with me on that. Um, You know, when when you're a junior in college, the idea of a gap year, two gap years feels really long, like a big delay on your life. But if you fast forward to 30, 35 years from now, are you going to look back and think, oh, I've only practiced medicine for 27 years instead of 28? Like, you probably won't, right? In the end, it won't make a difference. So if you need to space things out a little more, I think you should. The other thing I would say is you don't necessarily have to take all those classes to beef up your reading skills, um, You know, especially for those of you that are listening that are like, okay, Rachel, but I'm already a senior and I already took all my humanities and I don't have the money to just throw at extra classes. Um, a website like longreads.com, not sponsored, just saying I like that one. <laughs> um, it's got a whole lot of news articles that are long form journalism where the articles are 2,000 to 20,000 words. And yeah, MCAT passages are significantly shorter than that, but If you become adept at reading two to 3,000 word articles that are challenging reading, you know, not not just straight up news, right? Because news is like ninth grade reading. That's not going to be hard enough to mimic MCAT level reading. But if you just read on, you know, something on long reads 10 minutes a day, every other day for a couple months, that's going to really improve your brain a lot, right? So it doesn't have to be a thing where you get in the time machine and change everything. It just means... Recognize that you've already probably committed to spending 200, 300 hours on MCAT prep. Some of those hours should be about improving your reading skills.
0: So, a student can go to longreads.com, which I didn't know about. I don't know why there's a random website out there. It's like, hey, for all you weirdos that like to read really long things, and that's not me; I'd fall asleep. But um any student can go and be like, okay, I'm I'm going to flip through this on my phone and look. I I finished reading it, but. What's the difference between just flipping through it versus, I know you've talked a little bit about active active learning or active reading. How is a student supposed to actually learn how to be a better reader by by reading?
1: Well, so our stuffed animal example from before might work. You could try to summarize it to your stuffed animals. You could see if you find any assumptions in the article that you think are proven. So, you know, it's weird. I just noticed the writer said, this one fact, but she didn't say where she got that fact. How do we know that? Um, Or do I think the writer's trying to convince me of something? Um, Or going back to what we were saying before about study groups, you know, have a long reads club and, you know, maybe just once a week your study group all agrees on one article and then you debate it out a little. Um, You know, the only way you can really get amazing cars practice is to do verbal passages, but, There's only so many of those in the world, even if you go to every single prep company for it. So what you're kind of going for is turning your long reads articles into like practice MCAT verbal passages and just sort of thinking about it in the same way that the CARS passages are asking.
0: So it sounds like, Rachel, it sounds like what you are saying is that next step is going to start helping students with a long reads type journal club, like once a week, Next Step's going to put out on social media, be like, hey, at the end of this week, we're going to break down this article on social media. You should go read it and then check back in with us. That sounds like a good thing you should do.
1: Yeah, it does. Thanks for for taking my random idea and making it a concrete one. (laughs) Yeah,
0: a way to help Uh, more students. I think that'd be an awesome thing.
1: Yeah. And just get people reading, right? Yep. I mean it's 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 weird how obvious that should be, but isn't. But reading is going to serve you well for your whole life. Yeah. Um, and it's important to be able to know how to take in data and think about what you're getting and not just absorb it wholesale. yeah um, and that's that's really what the NCAT is trying to test is your ability to problem solve. And you know, I think sometimes people think about it as maybe it's not fair that it's reading because a lot of the problem solving you'll do as a doctor might actually be more from verbal communication and that's a fair enough point, but that's not what the MCAT test does. It does it in writing, so it's not just about your ability to take in new data. In this particular case, it's asking about your ability to read new data.
0: Yeah, and, and by reading it, you're you're learning how to just take in no no matter what, right? Whether you're listening mm-hmm. to it or reading it, you're taking in data and you're figuring out how to process it and and where to go from there. So it all it all works in the end. Yeah. Okay. So what's another big issue that you see with students?
1: So I think the one we haven't covered yet that's still really big is time. Mm. Um, And um, I've had so many people come to me over the years and say, I allowed two months and I wish I'd allowed three. Um, Three months is not a magic Ticket, but it seems to be about the sweet spot for most MCAT preppers. Two can be enough. You know, if you're listening right now and you only had two and you're doing great, more power to you. Um, But um, a lot of people either underestimate how long they're personally going to need to improve, or sometimes I think they're actually just overestimating how many hours are in the day. You know, I mean, I've, I've literally had students say things to me like, well, I work 12 hour shifts at the hospital but I'm sure I can come home from my 12 and then work three or four hours before I sleep. Yeah. And I'm sure (laughs) you can for one day or maybe even one week. Yep. But can you do that after four 12 hour shifts, four days a week, every week for 12 weeks? Really? I mean, maybe you can, I'm just saying, let's, let's think hard about what's possible. I feel lucky because I love my job and my job involves sitting, not standing and working hard in service of others. (laughs) And I'm exhausted at the end of the day. Mm. Like I take classes sometimes and I find them, I find it really hard to do that homework at night. Yeah. So um, I think just being honest with yourself about what your limits are um, and then mapping out a timeline accordingly. And what I always recommend is work from the test backwards. Cause sometimes there's this temptation to say, well, I fixated on this date. So I'm just going to fit it all in by that date. Um, But again, if you if you just acknowledge to yourself that you should take it when you're ready, as opposed to by some pre-ascribed deadline you've given yourself, then you can map out. And, you know, in the pre-med hangout, just in the last week or so, someone had said, what if I only have 15 hours a week to give to prep? Well, yeah, probably in that case, three months won't be enough. I mean, maybe, but mm-hmm. you know, most MCAT test takers report spending about 300 hours studying. So. Yeah. Again, that's not a magic number. It's not a rule. Um, all you know, but, but if you fall into that about 300-hour window and you can give 15 hours a week, well, that's about 20 weeks. Yeah. And what if one of those weeks you're sick? Or what if you're taking classes and one of those weeks is finals week? Um, so it sounds kind of far away, right? Today, as we're recording, it's early August. But if it's early August, you think you have 15 hours a week to give. That's that's fine, but I think we're looking at the January 2020 exam for you. So right now, 2020 sounds far away, but I'm saying, hey, those of you that are going to work, t- have jobs and school and MCAT prep concurrently, let's get cracking right now and you can do it.
0: Yeah. And I, I think something that isn't talked about enough is, okay, we, we talk total hours or total length, whether it's three months or four months or whatever, But I I think what most students fail to recognize is the quality of the studying and actually shutting off their phones and shutting out distractions to make each hour that much more effective.
1: Yeah, that's a good point, especially because I I sometimes see not in your Facebook group, which is one of the best pre-med groups in existence, but in some of the other social media, I see... um, like humble brag, like mm. oh, I'm studying 16 hours a day, and I think like, are you really? No. <laughs> and, like how how Much. efficient are those 16 hours? Like yeah. could you have done it in 10 if you didn't like get on SDN to brag about it? <laughs> 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 um,
0: you took so, 40 selfies while you're doing that 16 hours and posted them to Instagram.
1: Right. Yeah. I mean, it, so it's just that matter of. Can you really shut out, like you said, shut out and then focus hard and then allow yourself breaks? Cause man, I mean, I do think there's such fierce competition to get into med school that sometimes I think pre-meds forget they are already in the top percentiles of the entire world in terms of academic excellence. Like this is tough stuff. Everybody's bright. Everybody's working crazy hard. Um, And it is okay to allow yourself breaks. It's okay to take naps. It's okay to spend an hour on Netflix. But do your four hours of studying and then spend your hour on Netflix. Don't try to study with Netflix on.
0: Yeah, exactly. But Stranger Things was good. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. And The Boys. The Boys. Have you seen The Boys on Amazon? So good. Oh, no, I haven't. It's uh, mean, like mean superheroes. Oh, so good. <laughs> anyway, all right. um, okay. So lots of fun tips there. Is there any other any other big take homes before we transition into a different topic?
1: I mean, so it sounds silly after I gave you all, uh, gave you gave our listeners all these really hard things to listen to, but one is just stay positive. That's it goes back to the idea of the study group, which again is a free thing that you can do, whether or not you invest in proof. Um, and, and prep, but it, it can be really hard to keep a good attitude. And the, the people that I've seen have the best MCAT prep go into it, knowing it's going to be really hard, but kind of mentally prepared for it. So it's going to be a slog and I'm going to do it, but it's going to be okay because my life isn't about the MCAT. My life is about my desire to serve others. And I just need to get through these next three or four months and do well on this test so that I can go on to the next step, which is serving others. Yeah. And I think just keeping that perspective um, and, you know, again, allowing yourself some breaks, that's going to go a long way to keeping yourself in a more cheerful frame of mind. Yeah. It's, it, it's
0: interesting. We are supposed to be entering a field. that's all evidence-based medicine. Yet there's this kind of a little bit of woo-woo stuff, like just stay positive and it'll all be okay. And it's just, it works, right? Just be happy and <laughs> excited. And it works.
1: I think so. I mean, I guess maybe it is a little woo woo, but, um, you know, and personally I keep a gratitude journal and when I forget to keep a gratitude journal for a month or two, I will find myself in a funk, Yeah, (laughs) you know? And then if I just start waking up and going like, man, first world, indoor plumbing. Yeah. (laughs)
0: That works. Having been (laughs) a little better, (laughs) having been to Kenya without indoor plumbing, I, I, I love indoor plumbing. Yeah. Um,
1: And you know, I've had some health issues. And when I when I leave doctors, I think, thank goodness for doctors. And that always makes me come back loving this job more. Yeah. You know. So I think whatever it is that works for that person, right? So whether it's going for a run or spending time with friends or going to your house of worship or keeping a gratitude journal. I understand it's not scientific, but whatever it is that you personally need to do to feel a little better in your life, make a little time for that during MCAT prep. Don't abandon it completely.
0: So something that I'm excited about, sad about, and excited about is we have another little transition here on the MCAT podcast. We are losing Clara as our co-host, and we're gaining Phil, who... Uh, not on the MCAT podcast, but on the pre-mid years podcast, he came on to drop some knowledge bombs about psychos. Because something like twenty percent of his students get get like perfect scores in psychos, and so I'm excited to have Phil as my new co-host on the MCAT podcast. What can you tell us about Phil?
1: Yeah, Phil's great. He's been with NextUp for a long time, um, so. Phil is um, one of those rare souls who could have been a doctor and realized his passion is in education, which is, it's rare in the world. It's pretty common at Next Step, right? That's often who's you know behind our teacher and content team. Mm-hmm. But so um, Phil was enrolled in an MD-PhD program and did complete a large part of it. And then at some point just sort of realized this isn't where my my passion for my life is. So he's brought all those amazing medical and science skills to his teaching. And he's been teaching and tutoring for um, the MCAT for five years. Um, For students who are enrolled in our MCAT course, he's the primary person who runs our office hours. So um, when you're in our online course, you also get a chance to get live instruction with a teacher six days a week. And Phil is the main person you see in those sessions. Um, So he is Really experienced, talented guy and works closely with a lot of students. So just kind of, you know, no matter what kind of question you have, he's probably already had a student who had that question before and figured out an answer. So I just think students really respond positively to that wealth of expertise. And also, he's just a crazy nice guy. Like, he's crazy nice is maybe not the right way to say it, but he's very, very kind and approachable
0: yeah he's a he's a good midwestern folk right it's nice down to earth kind kind soul
1: he's got family who are farmers nice um yeah okay um so
0: that will be a transition that is coming up here soon i think next week here on the MCAT podcast again if you're listening to this a little bit later on the pre-mid years that transition has already been there Done that. Uh, if you're listening to this on the pre-med years again, if you haven't started listening to the MCAT podcast, I get messages almost every day from students with just amazing scores saying, "I really like." I, I, I literally, as as we're talking, I got one yesterday. I think from someone who got a five twenty. I think saying, "I crammed the MCAT podcast the last two weeks before uh, the test when I found it and." She's like, I I credit my score a lot to the podcast. So if you're not listening, go to mcappodcast.com or just search for the MCAT podcast with whatever app you are using right now. And Rachel, before we close out, uh, obviously Next Step Test Prep, I'm a huge fan of, partly because, mostly because when I talk to students, they love the tutoring, they love the course, and they love the practice tests how can students find out more information about Next Step Test Prep and what you all have to offer?
1: So the easiest way is to go to our website, which is nextsteptestprep.com. Man, I wish we hadn't done the half rhyming name, but we did. (laughs) (laughs) So nextsteptestprep.com or just Google Next Step MCAT and you'll find us. Um, And yeah, like you said, we've got one-on-one tutoring. We've got an online course that is self-paced but with that six day a week live instruction with phil or you know other teachers of his caliber and then we have practice exams and um not everyone is going to invest you know several hundreds or thousands of dollars in prep um, but pretty much everyone needs practice tests and if you're using all the double amc which you absolutely should you may find that you still want more Um, and next step exams our exams, we're very proud of because we update them annually. So we're always watching the trends in the official MCAT and then tweaking slightly to make sure that we're staying as current as possible for all of our students.
0: Nice. And next step, you guys offer a consultation call. So if a student has any questions, they can call and, and talk to somebody for a
1: little bit, right? Yeah, definitely. And you're going to get me or someone like me, right? So we're all educators. We're all advisors. Um, we're all people who have been helping future doctors for 10 years or more. So when you call, you're going to have a chance to tell your story and let us learn a little bit about you. And then we can help you think through the best plan for you, um, you know, regardless of your budget. So that might mean, what's all the free stuff I can round up? Or it might mean, I want to work with one of your tutors for 40 hours. And you know, either way, we'll help you map it out.
0: Yeah. And it's exciting because it's not just MCAT prep anymore. It's applications as well, something that we've been working together on a bunch. So if you're past the MCAT already, or you're in the middle of it, and you still need some help with your applications, the next step can help you there as
1: well. Yep, we definitely do that. So you can do MCAT prep or admissions, or you can bundle them together for a discount. It's, it's all available. And it's all again, all on the website, or you can give us a call and we'll talk you through the choices.
0: All right. There you have it. That was Rachel again from Next Step Test Prep. If you are looking for some help with your test prep, go to nextsteptestprep.com. Sign up for a consultation call or sign up for their their full-length exams right then and there. And if you use the promo code MSHQ, you can save some money as well. I hope you have a great week. We'll see you next time here on the Pre-Med Years.